and we welcome you back to the Bill Bennett Show. We take a look at the news of the day, try to have thoughtful conversations about things that matter. We'll have one today. Mm-hmm. You know why? Why is that? John Hinderocker. And he's us. always thoughtful. He's one of the founders of Powerline, which is a really great source of insight. And he's the president of the Center of the American Experiment. John, thank you for your time today. Hi, Bill. How are you? Doing well, thanks. How about you? All right. I want to get to specifics of politics, elections, and all that. And don't let me forget to get your read on the Minnesota governor race. Could be interesting, right? Mm-hmm. But I, let's let's talk in general. Here's where I want to start. What troubles you the most about what's going on right now in our country? It's a long list. Um, the the you know this this whole complex of left wing ideas has spun completely out of control, and so we see it in all of these woke ideologies. We see it in this crazy gender stuff, the trans movement, but we also see it in, in the field of energy. Uh, we're looking at a winter here where people are going to be shivering in Western Europe, and and around the world there's this anti agriculture movement. You know, Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, Canada is coming out of the United States. I wrote about this just yesterday on Powerline, and 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 you know the idea of transitioning this alleged transition away from fossil fuels to wind and solar, which which is not happening, cannot happen, never will happen. The laws of physics don't permit it to happen. But but it's amazing to me that that these various movements, the anti free speech movement, you know, we're, we're we've raised a generation of Americans apparently who who in large part do not believe in free speech. Um, These are all, in my view, crazy manifestations of left-wing ideology, and yet they have a following. Uh, The the days when the the hot issue between liberals and conservatives was whether the federal marginal, top marginal tax rate should be, you know, 36% 36% or, or or 31%. That was the good old days, Bill. Remember that? Yes, sir. I yes, mean, sir. What, yes, what we're looking at now is just is craziness. And, and, and yet it is craziness that is subscribed to by a lot of people. Yeah. I guess I was shocked to see that this impossible task of leaving fossil fuel completely and going to these alternate sources of energy is not just the property of some fringe group, but is being sponsored, embraced, loved, and pushed by, what's the name of that outfit in New York, Blackstone Enterprises? Oh, yeah, the investment people. The big investment people, BlackRock, and Black, all of them, they're all pushing this, and they're all saying this is where their investments are going, against the laws of physics. But I, I, I guess the larger point is, We've always had nonsense, but the nonsense has been on the fringe. Now the nonsense is is very much mainstream and competing to be the mainstream. Let me say a word about the politics of this. It's bad enough to me that we have this administration and what it has done. Uh, And it seems to me it's done enormous damage to this country. Okay, the American people, for whatever reason, decided they didn't want Trump again. Uh, we'll assume the election was legit. So they put him in. But, you know, they're seeing what's going on. And uh, as people have said to me, and as I've said myself, well, we'll, we'll, we're self-correcting. You know, the country's bouncing back. The uh, antibodies are kicking in. And we'll see that in uh, in this election in November. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. The percentages of people for sense 
versus nonsense may be 48-43. Am I making any sense? Yes, no, I, th- I think you're absolutely right. And so I might liken it to drifting down a river, right? Okay. You're drifting down a river, and and the river is, is, is sweeping us to the left in these kind of crazy ways that we have talked about. And yes, the oarsman can swing into action and pull against the current and make a little progress upstream. But but what's mostly happening is this, this leftward trend. And I, I believe we will see a good election for Republicans in 2022. But, it, but to your point, Bill, that does not mean that this problem is going away. Uh, and one thing I didn't mention, by the way, uh, which, which should be on our list of, of horribles, is the unbelievably bad quality of our educational system. As you know, my organization has done a lot of work with critical race theory and so forth. Uh, and that's, that's on the list of craziness that has been embraced by the mainstream left and, and by the Democratic Party. But above and beyond that, we've got just the incredibly poor quality of our public schools. And, and I think that's a big part of the story, because why is it that these nutty ideologies have actually uh, gained a significant following? I think at least part of the answer is that our schools are so terrible. Yes. And uh, unfortunately, and don't get me wrong here, the focus that many of us have had and necessarily had on critical race theory on, you know, don't be talking to young kids about their gender, what gender they want to be, has obscured the fact, maybe the more important and fundamental fact, that record numbers of children cannot read. Right. We're getting worse. Right. You can't read. And if you can't right. read, if you can't read by third grade, you're finished pretty much. In this you're country, in deep trouble. you're in deep trouble. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah no, no, that's you, exactly that. right. And, 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 and as you know, my organization has been working on education and school choice and so on for 30 years. Uh, but what we've seen here, and I think it's, I'm sure it's true around the world. I'm not sure how, how well it's been reported around the country. But but as a result of these COVID school shutdowns, in fact, we got a paper coming out on this like day after tomorrow. As a result of these COVID school shutdowns, academic performance has plummeted. I mean, it has dropped off a cliff. That's right. Currently, in Minnesota, which people used to say had a good public school system, right. I'm not sure it was true, but right. people believed in it. Right. In Minnesota, statewide, I'm talking about the whole state, only 36% of our 11th graders, 36% can do math at grade level. Yeah. And grade level is nothing to write home about either. Right. That's right. We're starting with a low Standards bar. Pretty low, and yes. Most of our it's not, not calculus. No, and and so you know, I I I agree with you, Bill. We can fight CRT. We can fight the gender stuff. We 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 must and we do. But the overarching problem is that the quality of our schools is so terrible that uh, we are producing graduates of of high schools and even colleges who are frankly pretty ignorant. Yeah, I've been reading Nick Eberstadt. You know his work. Yeah, generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, he says that a lot of able-bodied men and women who used to be in the workforce are not working. Lots of them. Millions of them. And of the unemployed, able-bodied men who are not working, age 25 to 54, half of them are on drugs. They're they're addicted to some kind of drug or other. Uh, We see the alarm bells about fentanyl, and I've been arguing for years to declare... Uh, the cartels, foreign terrorist organizations, which would allow the government to go after them uh, if this government would be willing to go after them. But I, I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's possible. But 
apart from this invasion of fentanyl by the cartels pushing it here and now the danger of you know presenting it as candy and halloween there are two sides to this there's the supply side and as we know the demand side we wouldn't have so many deaths and it's now the leading cause of death uh for young for men between the ages of 25 54 people didn't take it and the reason they're taking it is a lot of them think they're taking something else Percocet or some other painkiller, and they and they end up taking fentanyl. But maybe the part that troubles me the most is people are talking about. Well, let's distribute Narcan, which is you know remedies is, is a remedy you take if you've taken right. fentanyl, and have that as uh, you know put that in every student's backpack. Um, there's there are signs and buses in New York saying you you know you're a user if you're a user be a responsible user. Well, what the hell does that mean? I mean, really, what what does that mean? Is there such a thing as responsible narcotic use? I I, I, I don't think so. We're lowering the bar, is, is my point, on, on all this. And I'm worried that, you know, we're getting more and more of a population which is buzzed. And that may have some explanatory power in regard to some of the nonsense we're seeing, you know, in terms of our politics, in terms of people's positions. People don't think very well because an awful lot of people, including a lot of young people, are drugged up to the ears. Yeah, that's really interesting, Bill. Um, and, and, and of course, what part of what's going on there is dependency. Uh, these people who, who, who aren't working but but are paying for drugs. You know, where's the money coming from? Well, in some way, one way or another, it's coming from us, right? I mean, you know, through human history, Bill, uh, almost everybody lived on the border of subsistence. You had to work. You, you couldn't spend your day drugged out or whatever the equivalent was at the time, or you'd starve to death. You know, you had to work. People had to work. They had to be productive. And what what, what you and I think of as virtues, and of course, you were a whole book about virtues, um, were things that you needed to have to survive. If, if, if you, if you, you know, fell off the wagon in terms of virtuous behavior, you were in deep, deep, deep trouble. And one of the things that we're seeing now is that because our society has reached a certain level of wealth, that prod is no longer there at our backs for very many people. They, there's, they don't have this fear of, you know, I got I to gotta get up in the morning and go to work or I, you know, I'm, I, where, how am I going to eat? It's a nice and, way to and put it. it. No, prods on our, no you know, more of the prod on the back. Yeah, Good for you. yeah no, that's go right. And, go on. And, 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 and you see it with, with these unemployed people, but I'll tell you where else you see it. You see it with this army of people who are being supported by the government uh, for doing, you know, goodness knows what, little or nothing. You know, we've had this huge scandal here in Minnesota, the Feeding Our Future scandal, where so far they've identified $250 million in, in federal money administered by the state of Minnesota that was supposedly feeding poor children lunch. Well, if you do the math, they were feeding every child in Minnesota pretty much, you know. But but it, but but that the uncovering of that scandal has has laid bare this whole network of people who cash government checks uh, without doing anything you or I would recognize as work. That's you know, right. There are all these That's nonprofits, right. all these, and, they, and they're, it's, it's political connections, and it's, it's bogus organizations, and there's an enormous amount of money that just sloshes around. And so you put all that together, 
And we have a big, big chunk of our population that is not supporting itself through honest labor in the way that through human history, people always have. Yeah. The value of work, um, the importance of work, the necessity of work for happiness, for fulfillment, for pride, for for self-respect. Yeah. Something happened during uh, the pandemic, right? A lot of people stayed home and got used to staying home. And when it was over, and it's over, the president declared it over, by the way, which complicates his, some of his policies. Uh, you know, the student loan forgiveness thing apparently is in real trouble now because we don't have a national emergency because the president said we didn't have one. I digress, but you know what I'm talking about, John, right? Yes, yes. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, but a lot of people stayed home. When the pandemic was over, s- some people went back to work. I mean, went back to the office, got on the bus or, you know, got on the subway or got in the car and went back to work. Other people said, well, I'll go back to work, but I've been used to doing it at home. Let me do it at home. And some are able to do it at home and able to do it at home effectively. But another bunch said, I got checks for doing nothing. And it looks like if I I can continue to get some. And, of course, there are people who game the system. I want want to mention Nick Eberstadt's work again because I just finished his book. Men Without Work, and he says, he says there are an awful lot of people, millions of people, this is your point, who are subsisting on money from the government, federal and state, and not working and not doing anything and logging a lot of screen time at home, uh, and many of them on drugs, but put that aside for the moment. They're not living well, they're not wealthy, not on, you know, 35, 40, 45,000 a year. They're at a subsistence level, but they're perfectly happy because they're not working and they got the screen time, they got enough food and they got enough other stuff to keep them, you know, entertained. What the hell is that all about? How did that happen? Where did it go, Bill? Where did it go? I went to my 50th high school reunion not too long ago. Uh-huh. I, I grew up in, a, in what would they call a big town in South Dakota. We call it a small town anywhere else. And I had a class of about 300 uh, kids. Yeah. Graduated in 1967. Yeah. Man, were those folks successful. I mean, cheapers, creepers. Uh, you, you go back to a reunion, I mean, the number of successful careers, number of people making real contributions to society, you know, to the world is just, it was stunning to me how well people had done. And, 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 and I can understand why, because I, I know the attitudes that, that we grew up with in, in South Dakota in the 1950s and 60s. And those are attitudes that were conducive to going out of the world, to being successful, to raising a family, to making some money, to contributing to a community, uh, to feeling pride in our work. I mean, I, I, and, and somewhere in the intervening years, that culture got, I was going to say mislaid, but that isn't really right, Bill. It came under attack. We didn't, we didn't just, we didn't just forget it. You yeah, know, we, yeah. we, we laid it aside deliberately because of incessant attacks from people who wanted to tear down uh, what, what they saw as a, as a negative culture in a, in a, in a failed society. We have a little thing that happens a lot in the family here. Elaine and I have been married 40 years now. And, you know, we get with people, we tell stories, and Elaine will tell stories about the kids and things happening. And then I'll say, and, 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 and I was there, and she will say, no, you were out of town. And I say, I get tired of this, I was out of town. You know, I was there. I was there for a lot of, criti-. she said, yeah, you were there for a lot of critical moments, but you were also out of town a lot. 
I said, that makes it sound like I was, you know, just shuffling along and, you know, trying to, trying to go on vacation. And then she stops and says, and, you know, the boys are there. No, I explained to the boys you were out of town because you were working. And you were working to bring home the money we needed to be able to live well. And that was very important. And not only was it important for them, for you to do that, it was important for the boys to see that and to see that this is what a man should do for his family, uh, for self-respect, for uh, using his time constructively rather than destructively or self-destructively. I don't mean to get too personal here, but it, well, it, it no, illustrates, but Bill, illustrates the point, right? Right. Oh, yeah, it does, Bill, and I and I totally uh, get that because I like being know, accused you know, of I... always being out of town. You know, I, wait, <laughs> well, no, no, no. I was th- I was there when the kid hit no. our son with the baseball bat, and we went to the <laughs> hospital. I was there. You know. Bill, listen, I totally relate to that. <laughs> okay, I, okay. I I did litigation. I had cases all over the country. There were years when I spent half the night sleeping in my own bed and half the night sleeping in hotel rooms. I missed a lot. I was gone yeah. a lot. Yeah. But it's what I had to do That's to right. have the career that I wanted to have, That's to make right. some money, That's right. to make a mark in my profession. I had yeah. to do it. That's right. And I, I didn't enjoy being on airplanes at, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday night, uh, trying to get home. Um, I but know. I did it. I know. And, right. and, uh, and, and, I, and I feel like, you know, there's been this weird uh, scaling down of uh, ambition on the part of a big, not everybody, obviously, but a, a big slice of our population. Yeah, and this is connected. One funny story on this, which was kind of a signal to me. I called home one night and got my younger son, Joe. I guess he was about seven or eight. I said, hey, Joe, how are you? He said, I'm okay. I said, doing well? Yeah. How's school? Okay. Can I talk to your mom? He said, sure. Who may I say is calling? <laughs> what the <laughs> What the heck? You, you, when your kid doesn't recognize your voice, it's time to come home. <laughs> That's very funny, Bill. I will say that that never happened to me. Yeah, <laughs> that would cause you to get a book a flight on the next plane. Oh, yeah, yeah, give up your job, give up your profession. However, I I say to Mrs. Bennett, for the most part, I said this is your fault. When I became Secretary of Education, you said don't just you know, sit there and watch and get out there and go to the schools. And so I went to the schools. I went to about a hundred schools. And then when I was the first drug czar, I went to about a hundred communities. I had had to do that to do my job. I thought, you know, to get my hands on and see it with my own eyes. Uh, Anyway, I'm working out my guilt here with you, John. Uh, I, I hope, I hope I'm forgiven. They do know my name and they do know my voice. And um, I, th- I think they do learn. They do learn something. Do you know that Chris Rock uh, routine? He says, uh, you know, boys, he said, in my community, they're always told to be nice to their mother and their grandmother. He said, but they, they're told to compliment. Hey, mom, you sure look good. You sure look pretty. You sure look nice. He said, but, you know, what about the dads? How about, you know, he said, I, I, the kid ought to say, hey, dad, thanks for the roof. You know, <laughs> thanks for the heat. <laughs> thanks for the air conditioning. I'm sounding like an old, old-fashioned guy here with a, with the father working and the mother staying at home. But even if the mother's working, you know, dads, dads have to do this. You got to do your job. 
And uh, sometimes that means, you know, you're not around, but you can be around in that very important way where they know you're out there for them. Well, you know, Bill, I think in large part what you're talking about is is, is the devaluation of masculinity that we have yeah, seen over yes, a yes. period of decades. Yes. Um, and and uh, you look at a lot of young men nowadays, and I'll tell you, Bill, when I was young, I, nobody ever called me the king of the macho men. You know, that wasn't that wasn't me, and it's not most people, it's not most guys, right? But I, but you look at a lot of young men today, you just kind of shake your head, you know, um, this 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 endless devaluation of attacks on the whole concept of masculinity. They don't know what you to know, do. It's having very profound, very profound consequences. Um, a lot of them don't know what to do. You know, no. I don't know because I think masculinity has become in part of the culture what they call toxic masculinity. There's no distinction, you know? If you're right. if, if you if you uh are a certain kind of man and have a certain kind of attitude um and approach to the world that's uh, traditionally masculine, that that's toxic and you shouldn't uh, do it. I mean, I, look. I think part of the program of, of of the left is to destroy the distinctions between men and women, and we see that in the schools. Yeah, they they made a lot of progress there. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm afraid they have. I'm afraid they have. All right, this is a, this is a very interesting discussion. Let's get specific. You're optimistic that the country recovers at least partly its good sense, and we have a, a good election this fall. I am, Bill. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not the pollster or the vote counter. You know, I, I think. Right. Um, uh, I think everyone thinks the Republicans are going to take the U.S. House, and I'm quite confident they're going to they're going to take the uh, the Senate. Are you? Um, yeah, I mean, what are the I, races? Know, we'll what are the races that 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 you see Republicans are going to win? There's that are important. Do you see Pennsylvania? Do you see Oz winning? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, yes, I do, Bill. I mean, I mean, Fetterman is just such an awful yeah. candidate. I mean, yeah. a poor man, but but I I can't see him getting elected to the Senate. One of the things you struggle with every election cycle is the polls. I mean, if polls are showing a very tight race, maybe Fetterman up a couple of points, and I say you got to be kidding me. I I just don't I don't believe that. And. Um, and so I think there are races like that, and and um, and again, I there are people a lot more knowledgeable about the vote counting than than I am. But um, you know, the, with the, with with the inflation that we've had, with the price of gasoline and the price of groceries, with the state of the southern border, uh, with the with the Afghanistan fiasco, um, w- you know, with concerns about energy, um, there's just no way, in my opinion, that Americans are going to go out to the polls and say. Great job, Joe. Great job, Democrats. I want some more. You know, I, I let, let me let me let me just challenge you on that. I want to be with you 100. percent But here's my worry. I, I've checked three polls on immigration, and they come out. Do you like what's going on in terms of immigration? Support the administration? No, 45 percent. Yes, 43 percent. What the heck are people? thinking i mean there are an awful lot of people out there this is back to where we started who are in some kind of ideological straitjacket or have been educated in schools the wrong way who who think this immigration policy is fine how can anybody think that well one thing going on here i, I believe bill is that is that what people say to pollsters 
uh, is these days is dictated more by party loyalty than by saying what they really think in many, many cases. So you look at Joe Biden approval, you know, Rasmussen has him at, you know, 44 percent or something. There is no way that 44 percent of likely voters look at what they've seen the last two years and say, good job, Joe. Yeah, I really like what you're doing. I mean, I just don't believe that. What I think happens, and as with immigration, as with immigration, the liberals know, the Democrats know what the party line is, and they will give it to pollsters. And if you talk to some of those people who say, oh, yeah, southern border, that's okay, I think you would very quickly, if you actually had a conversation about it, realize they don't don't really think it's okay. They don't really think it's find that 3 million illegal aliens stream across the border along with a ton of fentanyl and everything else. So so I, I've gotten, I'm not one of those people who's almost kind of a conspiracy theorist about the polls, you know, all the hidden Republican voters. I don't, I don't really buy that. But I do think that things have gotten so polarized that when, when a pollster calls, many, many people see this as an opportunity to stick up for their team. And, you know, we poll in Minnesota, my organization, American Experiment, polls here quarterly in connection with our with our magazine, Thinking Minnesota. And and one of the things that we've seen is that there is a hardcore, it's 25 to 30 percent here in Minnesota. It doesn't matter what question you ask. They know what the liberal line is. They get the word out. They know what's our what's our line on this and they will give it to you. Right now, sometimes on a certain question, maybe more than that. But but uh, no matter what you ask, there's that 25 to 30 percent that absolutely will parrot the liberal line. You don't see that on the right. You know, you don't you don't have that hardcore of right. ideological ideological uh, commitment. So no. so I, I take the polls with a grain of salt. I got to see it to believe it. That right, Pennsylvanians so, are going to elect that guy Fetterman. That's a good a good example. All right. Let's finish that thought. So they parrot the line. But you're saying when they go to the polls, a lot of them will vote differently than the parroted line. I think some of them will, and some I do think will. there are some people who are quiet talking to pollsters who are who are on our side. I don't know what that number is, but it's but it's not zero. And then you got enthusiasm, then you got turnout. Yeah, uh, okay. you know, some of the people who pair at the line, um, you know, just just don't show up. All right, we may call you the day after election day, either to say <laughs> good man, you're right, well, or. Or, all right, John, what the hell do we do now? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I'll tell you about We're going to have some very interesting elections here in Minnesota. Let's talk about Minnesota. Let's let's talk about it. Yeah, because your state has been, uh, well, you've been the center of attention for a lot of reasons. Not not a lot yeah, of them not so good. Bad, right. So, Go so Democrats have won 26 consecutive statewide races in Minnesota going back to 2006. So the statewide, you know, in, 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 in individual districts and so on, Republicans have won quite a few races, but statewide, no Republican has won an election since, uh, 2006. So, so, so until that streak is broken, we're underdogs, right? I mean, that's, you know, that's, that's the reality that we face. So, so, um, the, 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 uh, governor is an incumbent, Tim Wall, Democrat, who's a far leftist, 
who cultivates a kind of a man of the people, moderate um, image, more or less successfully. He's got an abysmal record in office. I mean, it's just shot with the, with the crime and everything else that we've seen over the last the last four years. Um, and 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 the Republican uh, nominee is a doctor named Scott Jensen, who served a term in the state legislature, in the state senate, but basically is a a lifelong um, a doctor. And and the the current polling has has Tim Walz, the incumbent governor, up by two or three points. In the attorney general race, Keith Ellison, remember, is our attorney general. And in his four years in office, he has thrown the book at exactly two people, uh, Derek Chauvin and Kim Potter, both police officers. Other than that, he's shown no interest in our skyrocketing violent crime problem. And the Republican nominee there was also a, a political novice from the private sector, a guy named Jim Schultz, in the most recent polling was up by a couple of points over uh, over Keith Ellison. So I think it's going to go down to the wire. I think it's going to be very, very close. Uh, but I think there's a good likelihood that, that here in Minnesota, the Republicans are going to break a 26 uh, uh, election uh, losing streak. What is the aftermath of uh, the violence, George Floyd, all all that? How do you, how do you see that? How's, what's the reaction there? Where are things where do things stand? What's the effect of that politically? Well, the effect of it is is terrible for the left and for the Democrats. Um, what's happened is that is that we have a a, a greatly elevated crime rate. You know, Minnesota, for the first time in its history, this is something my organization realized and has publicized, for the first time, I think you could go back to statehood, Minnesota is now higher than the national average in serious crime. That's part one crimes as defined by the FBI. We are now above the national average in serious crime. Just shocking. So after George Floyd, after the riots, uh, there was this this epidemic of lawlessness, and it has not subsided. Our crime rates have remained uh, very elevated now for for a couple of years, and the voters hate it. I mean, crime is the number one issue in this state, and when people say crime, uh, you know, that, that there's not two sides to that issue. <laughs> people people are against right. it. We had to defund the police movement here. There was a ballot initiative that actually lost in, in the city of Minneapolis. And, and the Democrats are now backpedaling and pretending that they were, you know, pro-police all the time as they are as they are doing uh, nationally. But it's a huge issue and it's a huge problem. And the city of Minneapolis and to a lesser extent, the city of, of St. Paul hasn't even begun to rebound. Really? Yeah. And I mean, it's partly, you know, the COVID shutdowns for a year, hardly anybody was working downtown and, and so forth. And businesses have been have been slowly reopening and trying to lure their employees back. But the other problem is crime. I mean, there are many, many people who just won't set foot in the city of Minneapolis. If I went to the Mall of the Americas, is that what you call it? Uh, the Mall of America. Yeah. The Mall of America. Would I notice the difference from when I went 10 years ago? Yeah, I think so. There was a shooting there recently, uh, gang related. You know, a couple of guys start shooting at each other. One guy got wounded. Um, um, yeah. You know, the crime. It's. I mean, it is a huge, huge uh, problem, and it's a problem that we in this state aren't used to. I, you know, a lot of us live here in, in considerable part because 
years ago, there was there was so little crime, and and that's really changed. And and the crime crime of the serious kind, but also just lawlessness. I mean, these drag racers will take over city streets. They'll draw a crowd of a thousand people. They'll they'll idiotically drive around in circles, sometimes hitting people in the in the crowd. There's a, there's a video that everybody has seen. It's 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 not the middle of the night. You know, it's it's during yeah, hours and people are out it. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a guy leaning out the passenger window shooting a gun into the air as the car goes around in circles. It's like Dodge City. It's absolutely unbelievable. Fourth of July, there were these gangs of young people uh, taking over the city, shooting fireworks at people, attacking police officers, shooting fireworks at buildings, shooting each other in some cases. There were a number of of people with gunshot wounds, but but you know this this aura of of lawlessness and potential violence just hangs over the the metropolitan area. And do you have the uh, parole and uh, uh, bail situation like other places do? Bill, it's unbelievable. Yes, we we yes we we've got a, a policy fellow at American Experiment who who came to us after thirty three years as a high ranking officer in the Hennepin County Sheriff's Department. And it's so interesting to talk to him. And he writes daily on our website and we publish the papers and so on. But, but yeah, so, so years ago, Minnesota went liberal on law enforcement with, with relatively little incarceration. And that was supposed to be balanced with a lot of supervision. So don't send the guy to jail for a long time. When he comes out, it'll be impossible for him to recover, to get a job and so on. So short jail sentences or no jail sentences, but then effective longer-term supervision. So what's happened is we've got the no jail or little jail, but we don't have the supervision. That whole system has just fallen apart. A criminal justice system has just has just fallen apart. As well, and so currently, our state has got the third lowest incarceration rate in the United States, and people commit serious. I don't know what you have to do to go to prison in Minnesota. I mean, you got to do a lot, and you got to do it more than once. And so, yeah, we're 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 paying the price for for a philosophical commitment to liberalism in in law enforcement. You know the historian Alan Gelzo? I don't. Okay, he's a, a Lincoln historian and a historian of the Civil War. Uh, teaches at Gettysburg and at Princeton, taught my younger son, uh, and uh, he's a great teacher, professor. He talks about the the Civil War, and then he talks about life today, and he says that uh, he wrote that uh, the balkanization of American society, the separation between blue and red, uh, is the worst that it's been since the Civil War. And I challenged him on it, and I said, I think it's worse than the Civil War. Not in terms of body count, obviously. We're not killing each other en masse. We're shooting up the streets, like you just said, but we're not engaging in, you know, pitched pitched warfare. But if you want to talk about differences, the cultural differences seem to me today to be more dramatic and different than they were then. Big disagreement then, major issue, slavery, you know, the equality of black people, major issue, went to war about it, and we should have gone to war about it. We should have won that war. But the disagreement was about that mainly. Today, you know, to, to take, a, take a, a, a proud Southerner in Virginia in 1862 and a proud Yankee in Connecticut in 1862, you have them put down their beliefs on a piece of paper uh, and match them up and, and, and take a Pelosi uh, 
voter today and a um, Tom Cotton voter from Arkansas and have their beliefs written down. I think there's a greater difference today than than then. I know what you're saying, and let me just add this. One thing about that, that, that the terrible you know disagreement, obviously, that led up to the Civil War and included the Civil War, uh, is that both sides believed that they represented the real American founding. They both professed loyalty to the Constitution. They both um, revered uh, the founders. Whether you're in Boston or Virginia, you know, George Washington was the exemplar of a, of a great man. And the Constitution is a document to which both sides pledged fealty. And remember, one of the slogans that the Southerners had leading up to the war, the Union as it was, right? Right. They 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 were happy with the union as it was, right. and 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 that's changed. So so now, if you talk to a liberal, um, he, he'll he'll say, "Oh, this this is a rotten country, and it always has been." Yeah. Uh, George Washington, he was bad. He was a slave owner. Yeah, Constitution, yeah, yeah, oh, it's yeah. racist, white supremacist, <clears throat> right. blah 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 blah. And and it makes it very difficult to find common ground when when you have these radically different ideas about the country's history and, and its founding. How do we fix that? Well, part of the answer is the educational system. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, you know, I mean, kids are right. being so systematically misinformed in, in the public schools and many private schools, too. Um, okay. I, I, I think it's an existential threat, Bill. I, I think there's, I a, there's a real question whether a country can survive with as terrible an education system is the one that we have. I've decided to spend a lot of my time, you know, you partly figure what, what you know how to do. And I'm, I'm working with some people to develop and we're now writing a history curriculum for eighth grade and, and 11th grade. That's pretty much standard throughout the countries. You take American history in eighth grade and 11th grade. And having reviewed the curriculum most states are using, man, it's bad. It's really bad. It's really inaccurate. It's really untrue, a lot of what's taught. And and so I'm working on that. I hope that's a good use of my time. I think it's a good use of my time. Um, it's hard to it's hard to think of a better use, Bill. Okay. I mean, this is, is this is a, just a dagger pointed to the heart of our country if we don't All improve right. these schools. I want to shift gears dramatically here and ask you this question. Um, think about Ukraine and Russia, okay, and the United States. Are we crazy? Are we risking nuclear war? Do we do we really want to say or act as if or be presumed to be saying if you use nuclear weapons in 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 Ukraine, we will use them on you? The the the, the Russians have I think six thousand missiles or missile heads. I can't remember which it is. Maybe you know. We have that many or maybe more. I I don't know, but um. Are we are we are we are we going about this right? I mean, I don't, I don't have any problem supporting the Ukrainian people in the Ukrainian effort. I don't want to give all our weapons away, but I, I'm very worried about the survival of the country, not just because of the poor education system, but I'm worried about China and Russia saying, "Man, this country is really vulnerable now. We could take these guys out now," and I I don't want us to be in a position where we're moving that along, provoking that. Tell me what you, you know, think. Tell I, me what you think. I, I, I am relatively supportive of, of, of our Ukraine policy. Okay. I have friends, okay. you know, who are, very, who are solid conservatives who, who have actually got some Russian sympathies and talk about the history there and, 
what a new nation Ukraine is and linguistic overlap, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I'm not either. Look, I mean, let's keep this simple. Ukraine didn't invade Russia. Russia invaded Ukraine. And, And this idea that Ukraine somehow is not a legitimate country entitled to self-determination well that's certainly not what the ukrainians think right Absol- they think no they i absolutely agree with you. And totally agree with fighting that. for so so you know i at the most basic level i mean i i am not one of those people on the right and i think they're a minority but it includes a few of my friends who are in a really fundamental way hostile to to what we're trying to do to help the ukrainians right so, so to me, it's a matter of degree. Um, I think it's great that we give them some help. I think part of what's going on here, Bill, is that the Ukrainians have shocked everyone above all the Russians and how well they fought. I didn't, I didn't think they could do this. I, I, it turns out that all of us grossly overestimated the Russian army. I mean, my Lord, they put in a, a terrible performance, at least based on all the reports that you see. And so, and so that has put Putin into a corner that I don't think any of us at the beginning, I certainly didn't expect he would find himself in. And of course, like, like all dictators, it's like Game of Thrones. You know, you, you can't afford to lose. You know, it's not just the end of your political career. It could be the end of your life. And so, you know, Putin is backed into a corner. And so I, I do think that we are in a dangerous situation here. And it's in large part because the Ukrainians have done better than you know, certainly the Russians thought they could do and, and better than, than we thought they could do. So so where do we go from here? I mean, um, the Russians have are, are have done some saber rattling. They've talked about uh, about using tactical nuclear weapons on the battlefield. Um, and and there's been some suggestion. I think it's been fairly muted, but but some suggestion that if they did that, that we would respond by doing things like sinking the Black Sea fleet and so on. Not with not with our own nukes. I haven't heard anybody say that. But I, I do think it's a dangerous situation. Uh, but but I'm not. I, I I don't I don't put the blame on us. You know I. Yeah, I agree I think with all that. that. I agree with all. Yeah. That. I agree with everything you said. But uh, if they used tactical nukes, because he's backed into a corner, uh, do we do we respond in kind with nukes? Well, no, I don't think so. Okay. No, I would say it definitely not. I, I think we respond vigorously, um, right. but but not with nukes. And and I'm not enough of a military strategist, Bill, to 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 identify exactly what that should be. But I think it's important at this stage to to let Putin and his folks know. Don't even think about it. You know, don't even think about using nuclear weapons because if you do, we're going to have no choice but to you know, take very, very strong action. Well, I, you know, is that is that sufficient to hold him at bay? That's a that's a guess. I mean, it's a guess. I'm, I'm not saying it, what you're saying is wrong, but it's a guess about his psyche. And if he feels this is his only option, he may do it. Yeah, of course, they're like us, too. I mean, they've got a chain of command, and, and uh, you, you read about Putin's increasing isolation and yeah. so on. How yeah. reliable is that stuff? I don't know. Will they follow but, his orders, but, you mean? Will they yeah, follow? yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. right, exactly. Okay. He keeps firing generals, and people keep falling out of windows. <laughs> you know, I, it's not, a, right. I don't think it's at all 100% that right. if Putin wants to use nukes, therefore the nukes get used. That You know, Putin has to, has to think about which is more likely to cost him his, his career and his life. You know, okay. is it losing the war or is it giving the order to use nukes in a scenario where people don't want to follow that order? Well, what about this alliance with the Chinese? That doesn't make me feel any better, right? This new world order between. Yeah, between, I mean, I think. 
Go ahead. You know, one thing we're seeing there is that the Russians are very much the junior partner in that alliance well, to sure. the extent that there is an alliance. Sure. And I don't know that there's any particular reason why the Chinese want a strong Russia. I think they probably don't. You know, they've all they've had longstanding border issues and so on, and they had their own rivalry for for some decades. And if I'm China, I'm I'm quite happy to see a a a, a floundering Russia. It's way too tied up in its own problems to uh, to cause trouble. I hope you're right. I hope you're right. If I'm sitting there hating the United States and Russia and China, and I'm having a conversation, and I'm thinking about, you know, when would be a good time to hit this country? Um, I, I don't think I'd wait for the election of 2024. You know, Bill, I don't think they're going to hit us, as you put it. I, I, I think what, what the Chinese, I think, are playing a much smarter and a much more long-term game. Okay. I mean, we are doing things that are so stupid. They don't have to hit us. I mean, this, we talked earlier about the whole green energy thing. Well, who controls green energy? China does. You know, they make the wind turbines, they make the solar panels, they make them with slave labor so nobody can compete on price. But more important, they control all the minerals. Yeah, you know, they bought up the cobalt. They bought up the lithium. They do eighty percent of yeah. the, that that the, the relevant uh, mineral processing in China. If we continue down this green path, we are turning our economy and our future over to the Chinese Communist Party. This may be the stupidest thing that any government has done in the history of the world. Oh, and if you. I'm China, if I'm China, I'm just sitting there saying, we don't have to do anything. Well, we don't, but, you know, we can continue building up our military. We can, you know, they have their own problems, by the way, they got really serious problems that they get, that they are focused on and need to be focused on. But, but as things stand right now, we're dropping into their lap. And so I don't, I don't see the Chinese think about you know launching ICBMs, I think they've got way smarter ways to well, they, to gain dominance. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe they launch another virus. I don't think they did that on purpose, to you Bill. I mean, I, 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 it I, clearly I, came out of the lab. There's no doubt about that. But when you look at the draconian shutdowns they did, and well, the I know they didn't do it on reality. purpose. But once it happened, they weren't you know they weren't all that helpful, cooperative, and they did they did shut down their country, but they let people from their country go to this. Country. Yeah, well, and even more so to places like Italy. You know, that's why Italy right. got hammered. Iran, Iran got hammered. Yeah, well, it doesn't matter. Once, they, once, they, once you they, get somewhere else, you're going to be in the U.S., right? You go to Italy, you're going to be in the U.S. Right. Uh, right. I, I, I don't know whether they did or not, but, you know, they got the cobalt and they got the minerals and they got the virus and they're make, they make fentanyl, too, you know. Well, that's right. They make the ingredients and I believe it's then kind of brewed in Mexico, but I believe the, the elements actually come from China. That's correct. That is correct. They don't need to bomb us, Bill. They don't need to bomb us. You. Between okay. between the terrible energy policies and the and the fentanyl, uh, all they got to do is bide their time. All right, last couple of minutes before the my audience, our audience, John goes off to the bar and says, "Man, I just had a terrible hour <laughs> listening to these two guys. <laughs> I need a beer. <laughs> I need a, a beer or worse. Yeah. Uh, what's the sunny side?" You know, maybe, maybe, Bill, the sunny side is the is the reverse image of, 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 of what's so negative. You know, in other words, the left has gone so nuts. They've gone so far over the edge in so many different ways that we are seeing a reaction. There's no doubt about it. You know, right. we're seeing a reaction. Right. And and it may be that, that they have gone, well, they clearly have gone too far, no doubt about it. But it may be that that the reaction is going to be more profound than I think it's going to be, and that we really will see a, 
you know, the pendulum swinging in a, in a more sensible direction here for, for a long time. I mean, that, that, that would be the most, I think, optimistic way to look at it. They, can, they, they always push it too far, don't they? They do. Yeah, I mean, they always are good it. trends. I mean, for example, for example, Bill, it was, it, in some ways, it was worse when our schools were terrible, but people thought they were good, right? I mean, one thing about COVID, a lot of people have figured out the public schools were not serving their families, were not serving their kids. I think 11% of American kids are not being homeschooled. It's just stunning. No, I know. And, and then there's a lot of other options that is, you know, it's not just homeschooling, but a lot of private schools, a lot of charter schools. I, you know, I, I do think that, um, uh, you know, there are some positive trends and, and, and they do, they, they really have their genesis in the fact that the left has just gone way too far. Do we need to uh, reelect Donald Trump? No, God, no. Okay. I mean, look, I, Trump was a good president, in my opinion, the best president since Reagan quite easily. But um, no, uh, yeah, you don't go back to the guy that lost the last election. That's the Adley Stevens strategy. You know, I mean, that that's not what you do. And and also, uh, what, Trump is going to be, what, 77? I mean, come on. Let, let's get on to the next generation and let's not drag Donald Trump's numerous issues around behind him and behind us for the next however many years. No, it is, you know, I, I, I like Trump. Uh, unlike a lot of people, I enjoy his personality for the most part. And I think he was a very good president. But no, it, it is time to move on. Okay. I said rather selfishly when someone asked me this, they said, well, you're a big Trump supporter. I saw your hat and everything. I said, yeah, but I just, I just don't want to go through it again. I really just don't. I don't want to go through it again. I you mean, know? at some point, the baggage, like, I know he's been unfairly attacked and so on. I could, I could set you a chapter and verse. But, I mean, at some point, the baggage is just, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's, you know, too it's, it's too much. It's too much. And, and I think Trump may very well be the only, the only you know, well-known Republican who could lose in 2024. I agree with you. I think there's a lot of people who could win. I think yeah. Trump may be I, the one guy who... I agree. Who can't? Agree 100%. Name half a dozen people within, and he's in. He could still lose, and probably would. Probably would. I think uh, he would. <laughs> because there are just so many people I know who say, I could never vote for Trump. Ever. Ever. Well, and bear, and bear in mind, his opponent will not be Joe Biden. That's right. Who will be? The Democrats, I don't know. They have a huge problem. You talk about reasons for optimism. They have no bench. Gavin Newsom, I mean, one of their problems is their governors are mostly leaders of, of failed states. Right. You know, we've got a guy like Ron DeSantis with a brilliant track record to run on. They've right, got Gavin right. Newsom. State is a basket. Well, they go to Kamala, but, right? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a problem. How, that's to, a problem. How, to, how to bypass Kamala. You're absolutely right. And this is this is an even bigger problem is how do you ease Joe Biden out of office? Yeah. They'd love to ease him out, but then they got Kamala, and if she's the incumbent president, they have to nominate her, right? They yeah. have to. So, so my reading of the situation is that the Democrats are just desperately hoping that Joe Biden stays alive and halfway functional until 2024, and then they, they have between now and then to come up with somebody other than Kamala. All right, your last three minutes has given me great optimism. So <laughs> I'm really just talking about those well, scenarios. I, no, that's right. That's right. I hope our listeners stayed with us, Bill, because they did. there's always a ray of sunshine. They did. There's always the ray of hope. Drinks on us and your organization. Okay, no. <laughs> no, no. This was terrific. Thank you so much, John, as always. Well, thank you, Bill. Always great to be with you. Okay. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Stay current on the threat posed by China with our friends at Committee on the Present Danger China. Go to presentdangerchina.org, presentdangerchina.org. 
That does it for today's show. Catch up on previous episodes of the show. Go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's Podcast gmail.com please share the podcast with your family and friends we'll catch up next week 